Hello and welcome to the May edition of Cinetopia radio show and podcast. I'm Amanda, founder of Cinetopia. And last month I was here with Gary, one other person and as part of our group. And now I'm here with five today. So a bigger, bigger group today. Um, so Gary's back. Gary, how are you? Hi, Amanda. Yeah, I'm very well. Thanks. How are you? Good. Enjoying the fickle weather of, of Scotland spring. Yeah, yeah, we're actually getting some sunshine. It's very, it's been very nice today. Yeah, it's a very, very nice day here. And Jim's back. Jim's our uh, co-producer of the show, and he's back. But you're muted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is just, this is just a function of sleep deprivation after young kid, right? That's I, I did, and also I, I've secretly not had a kid. I just want to skip the Oscar show, Amanda. That was it. Oh, that's okay. I thought, I thought I'd had... give you, I thought I'd give you a break this year. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Um, I'm tired. I've forgotten what sleep is and what its alleged function is in humans. Um, but apart from yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I managed to make it to cinema for the first time to see a couple of the films were talking about on the show. So yeah. Exciting. Did you do a baby friendly screenings then or no, I haven't managed to do that yet. I, I was thinking about doing it for everything everywhere all at once, actually. Um, but it only happens in about a week and the film is two hours and 20 minutes long. So I've decided I'll maybe try that adventure with a slightly shorter film. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 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 No, it's on um, the agenda though. But did you say you, you went to the Everman? Yeah, we do, which I think it only opened like right at the end of April, maybe something like that. So yeah, no, it's still pretty new. It's the new cinema in edinburgh it's 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 very nice um i've only had one experience of it so far but you know i was in one their largest screen and one of the smaller ones and yeah it's it's very nice it's very new uh you know i need to go a few more times to see but it's quite close to me so you know it's quite convenient to get to as well but yeah it's a good addition yeah yeah, it was quite close to me. And so I was, I was looking forward to it opening, but it never opened until I moved. But um, so we're also back with Clara. It's not been on for quite a while, but um, Clara, how are you doing? I'm good. I, I was in the ether and now I am back, which is very nice. Yeah, I was uh, adjusting to a ridiculous work schedule, but now I'm very happy to be back. And especially with the films that we have lined up today, I'm excited to be discussing a horror and something socio-political as well and leaving the Marvel for Jim. So, yes, yeah. we have. And because we have so many on today, we have many films we're going to talk about. And I think the person who wins the prize of seeing all of them is Simon, who's back with us. So Simon, um, how are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Uh, glad to be back. Um, yeah, excited to be discussing these films. I think... We're getting a really good crop of like new releases now after the Oscars and sort of leading into the summer season. There's some great stuff at the cinema. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're going to be reviewing five films today. So everything, everywhere, all at once, um, which is, yeah, it's, it's currently out in cinemas um, and it's directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert collectively known as the Daniels. Um, so that is, uh, that's the first film we'll be reviewing today. Between Two Worlds is the second film we're reviewing, directed by Emmanuel Carrere. And then the third film is Emergency, uh, directed by Carrie Williams. Then we'll be reviewing the latest Marvel film, Doctor Strange. Is that number two? Is that what, is that it is? What's the full title? Do you know? In the Multiverse of Madness. 
<laughs> Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, directed by Sam Raimi. And finally, we'll be reviewing The Innocence by Eskel Vogt. And yeah, so big show today. Uh, looking forward to get into it. Just one mention um, today as we're uh, reviewing, we'll be on AHFM, um, but later in the day, Cinetopia uh, will be running its normal Edinburgh networking event. So we're back, but we're going to do it outside because... Fingers crossed, it'll be a nice day. Um, and why not uh, network outside when it's event, when it's possibly nice out? Um, so, Amanda, given given your history with outdoor events, you are but you are playing with fire. <laughs> well, there is covering, <laughs> and that's how I've, I do uh, okay. it now. All so right. there's, there's full on covering, no worries. <laughs> and we did do it at Summer Hall before in the courtyard, um, and it was it was quite cold in November, and people still stayed for at least a couple hours. So I think um, I think it's worth a, worth a giving it a whirl again. If it works well this time, we'll do it again. But again, if, just in a, if you've never been to a networking night and you are in the Edinburgh area and you're listening, it's a really informal place to get to know people within the film community. So whether you consider yourself a professional or a film lover or you know a budding critic or a, you know a budding DOP, uh, this is where where you should come and meet us and chat. And um, yeah, so we so we run those. Um, ideally monthly but um so join us if you can and check out you can check out my website and uh cinetopiashow.com and yeah you'll see more information about it on that note that is uh that's our show so i look forward to talking to you guys about a lot of films Are you with us? I am paying attention. Now you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. first film we're going to review today is Everything Everywhere All at Once and it's a big title it's a big long film and Gary's going to explain a little bit about what this film is all about. Yep so uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once is the latest film from Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheiner collectively known as the Daniels. Uh, They did Swiss Army Man back in 2016 and they're back again for another surrealist comedy it's a, it's a multiverse action film that explores the intimate relationships between um, mother Evelyn, her husband, Waymond, and their daughter, Joy. And um, it takes place, for the most part, in an IRS office while they're 
meeting with an auditor to discuss their struggling family business. And short, shortly after in their meeting, they, they get thrust into a mysterious alternate universe that splits their perception of reality, thus kickstarting an adventure where they must save the world from ultimate destruction. Yes, very good uh, synopsis there and very many shots in this film. That's what I can definitely say, but I'm very curious <laughs> because I feel like this film might go any way in this, in this room. So um, who wants yeah. to go first? I, I, I wouldn't want to reveal much more of it than Gary's synopsis has given because I think part of the joy is discovering, going in not knowing very much and discovering the film as you watch it. Um, but I, I loved it. I, I thought it had got everything. It's it's an action blockbuster. It is a comedy, like you said, Gary. It's a drama. It's it's kind of got tinges of indie film while also being part of a blockbuster. It's I, I just really loved it. It had it such a great marriage of script and camera work and choreography. Yeah, I, I'm excited to hear what other people think. Sorry, I, I think that um, there's a lot of hype going into this film mm. and um, that's nothing to do, I guess, with the, with the film itself. But I think mm. expectations were very high just from the, 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 the positive reactions coming out of America and then the, the build up over whether it was going to be released in the UK or not. And this whole there was a whole discourse around the film before anybody had ever seen it. Um, so I went in with expectations high and I did enjoy it. I liked it. But um, I for me, it wasn't the five-star masterpiece that I think a lot of people were making it out to be. Um, I think it, it's, well, it's very well made, and um, you can tell that the, the Daniels are, are um, they've enjoyed putting it together. You can see that there's a passion for film in the film itself. Um, but I don't know whether there's profound emotional beats tally up with the toilet humor um for me I, I feel like there was some disconnect in that but i don't know if it, it, i might be in the minority but uh i don't know if anyone else agrees kind of i mean uh so i i it was i knew nothing going in i decided not to look up a single thing about it prior to going into the screening um so it was much more light zany and um effectively kooky than i realized it was going to be i was kind of expecting more of a, a, a something that would take itself a little bit more seriously I love the matrix or the, the butterfly effect or something similar uh but with uh, them with the martial arts added in there as well um but what I was in for was just was sort of absurdism with a core of like relatable human interpersonal problems and an overarching philosophical torment regarding the futility of life and the paradox of unlived potential lives um, I, I kind of both loved and, and really didn't like this film at the same time. I mean, because, I mean, there's a whole two hours and 20 of it. So I suppose there's, you know, there's going to be something in there, a mix of things. And it was so varied that um, I think it was kind of impossible for me to, to just to just like all of it. Um, it was just it was just very messy often and random for the sake of it to a degree, which I found a little bit tedious. Uh, but I can't say there wasn't a lot to enjoy about it and to consider it from it. Um, and it had this self-awareness about its own silliness and the stereotypes it was kind of hitting and referencing. Um, so that self-awareness did lighten it and help it and made it more, more likable, but it was still very conventional, very Hollywood in its arcs and its action, its messaging. So I was, I was wincing a little bit at times just because of that sort of like Hollywood kind of uh, messaging of like, love yourself, be kind, just constantly just like hitting those marks of, you know, uh, sort of packaging 
philosophy and ontological discussion into these really palatable, funny little cute sound bites that are supposed to be like fun and kooky. And it just, I, I, at times I thought I kind of missed it. Um, but at times it was, it was great. It was, it was super, super funny. A lot going on, a lot of great people involved in there as well. But yeah. I, um, I think I'm somewhere between Clara and Gary and Simon. I think I'm closer to Simon. I had a lot, of, <laughs> I, I, I had a lot of fun with this. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's amazing. Um, but I, there's just something, especially when like another, another bigger film that we might speak about briefly. And then, you know, last, I think maybe, is it the last time I was on the, no, not the last time, the time before last I was on the show, we spoke about Spider-Man, like this whole multiverse thing has become kind of the whole, the whole thing with blockbusters in recently. It's just kind of refreshing to watch something that's a bit more inventive with it. Now, is it inventive with it mm. in um, silly, puerile ways occasionally? Yes, absolutely. And there are a couple of segments in here with, Without going into details of it, but I think there's one that's kind of like it's a <laughs> universe that follows a branch into human anatomy. Like to be honest with you, I could be doing without that. And like mm. I, 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 at two hours and twenty minutes, I think it around about the middle of it, it maybe got a little bit repetitive. Um, and I think part mm. of that is the messaging that Clara was talking about. Um, but I'm going to come back to that because I think there was other stuff in there that I'm not, that I've not, certainly not seen a huge amount to talk about, but. It is just nice to see a film like this is actually trying to do something a bit different. Now, I, you know, I mean, is it completely off the wall? And it, like, no, I mean, I think that's been overplayed, but it's it doesn't fall into that trap. And anybody who's listened to me on this show or read a lot of reviews, one of my bugbears with films is films that are that think they are a lot cleverer than they actually are, right? Yeah. You know, you're, um, frankly, I'll say it, the tenets of the world and things mm-hmm. like that, right? This film is not that. It, it it knows that it's a bit silly and self-aware and is trying to deliver stuff with its silliness. Um, but the main thing is it's just inventive and it is actually quite fun and it's funny. Um, I really like the performances. I think Michelle Yeoh has a quite a, hard role to balance actually because it, it, her character Evelyn is not particularly nice at points right but you kind of need to find that sympathy with her and I think the script and her performance does that um, and overall I kind of like a lot of the performances I do think it's got a little bit of intelligence beneath the surface about what it's like because there was one line that kind of like stuck out like a bit like a sore thumb now that could be a criticism in a way because maybe it's not blended it in but there's a reference to our institutions are crumbling. And it's probably worth mentioning that the vast majority of the action in this film takes place in an IRS building, right? And, you know, I won't I won't go any deeper than that, but one of the hooks is that this uh, Evelyn, Chinese immigrant, runs a laundromat with her husband. They're trying to complete their taxes, right? And they're having great difficulty doing this. So quite a lot of this film takes place in an IRS building. And there's a lot of bits and pieces here where, you know, when they go into the building, there's the shadow of the American flag, but you don't see it. There's one part where um, somebody approaches somebody with a Stanley knife um, for what would be a very difficult thing to do. And it lingers on like the USA on the hilt of it and things like that. And So there is, I, I feel like there's maybe an attempt to have a little commentary in there about how, American institutions are preventing people from being their best selves, right? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in here about oh, all the opportunities you didn't take, 
um, why are you not as successful or as happy as you want to be? How do you know? Are you in other lives and decisions not to you know? So I think there is stuff in there. It doesn't linger on it because, as I say, I think primarily it's trying to be a fun, inventive film. But it is trying to say something in alongside that, and I think that's that's me where I would kind of go beyond to what Clara said there. I think there is some trite stuff in there as well. Um, but I think it is trying to deliver some other stuff on top of that. Um, so I, I like this a lot. It's not perfect. I think it's a bit overlong. As I say, I think it sags a bit in the middle, to be honest. I think that there's a bit where the relationship in particular between Evelyn and her daughter, that becomes a, a key point of it. It kind of repeats those beats a little bit um, around about the middle of the film. And I think it could probably have trimmed a bit off there um but overall yeah i i had a lot of fun with it and i think it's i think it's trying to say something as well and i i i got into it i thought it was very good what what you're saying to him about the i because it just maybe it just reminded me that i kind of saw it as a started reading it as like a post-trump movie and that people are really desperate to kind of to rail against the cynicism and the anger because a lot of the a lot of the core messages are just about well i mean the end like the final sequence is just um, about love and about kindness and about loving your enemy until you you triumph over them and uh there was this moment earlier earlier um uh, in the in the movie where it's a revelatory moment um where evelyn the main character is realizing that she's in uh in a multiverse and she's gonna have to start navigating that and um the the person that's helping her through it is saying have you not wondered why your coffee tastes different or why your neighbors aren't why neighbors aren't as close anymore and it's not mm. how it used to be and it's like saying because there's a lord of chaos and i was like oh my god i hope they're not like making a subtle <laughs> reference to trump being the lord of chaos he's like tearing america's social ties and, and communities and i was like so then I, as soon as i got that idea in my head i was a bit like oh i hope that's not where it's going so that was uh that was in the back of my head so hopefully not but it was it's worth noting as well i don't know if we've made it explicit but it's about an asian american family as well Mm. so there's kind of as well as the kind of institutional political things you mentioned jim and there's a a focus on asian american family dynamics as well a bit like turning red um actually in the relationship between um an asian american mother and a second generation you know asian american daughter um and there's some queer messaging in there as well, um, some LGBT stuff um, that's interesting. So I, I, we've mentioned the silliness and this kind of link to these larger messages that we've kind of alluded to. And I, I think it tied that silliness and that uh, sincerity together really well for me. Um, it, it's got a thick layer of, of self-reference, of irony, of silliness, but for me, it was able to draw out that sincerity from um, all that irony in a really effective way that, that kind of reminded me of, I was reminded of David Foster Wallace, um, particularly because a lot of the film takes place in an IRS office, like his novel, uh, The Pale King. So I, I, I think it marries those two, for me, a bit better than than for some of you guys. I, I don't want to sound like I, would, like I was being too down on it I do agree that there is a lot of fun to be had with it and I think uh, Michelle Yeoh is great I think she brings a lot of warmth and wit to it and um, it's a great platform for the Daniels to express themselves Um, and I think they execute that multiverse idea very well Um, and yeah there's a lot of self-awareness and I think it like it does it threatens to slip into self-indulgence at points um, 
but uh, yeah, I think I think there's a lot there's a lot to like in it. And um, what I did like actually was the for the action sequences were very well done. Mm. Uh, the fight mm. sequences and I know that Michelle Yeoh's got got a background there, um, so I did think that was fun to like see those martial arts influences come through as well. Mm-hmm. I think the um, executing the whole multiverse idea thing. I, I think that's an important one to note, actually, because I'd be lying if I said I come out, I came out of this film fully understanding the mechanics of that. But the key thing is, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Because it comes up, be, because it comes up with kind of like funny, inventive ways to get across how they're, you know, verse jumping and how you move between yeah. them, and how, and it, it's more of an opportunity for them to put together some quite inventive funny set pieces and visuals in terms of like you know without giving too much that like somebody can kind of like be in two at once and like how that is then how that then plays out in certain scenes and you know is it always 100 percent consistent could i recount how it worked eh, no probably not but i mean the, the thing is for what the the key thing is for what the film wants to do and for how it wants you to enjoy that concept it doesn't need to um you know it doesn't really matter how those mechanics work it works well enough to engage you with the film and engage you with the characters and stuff and what it actually wants to do and so on that front i think that like what gary mentioned like how they execute that i actually think that's one of the strong suits of the the film is because it doesn't it doesn't labor over explaining that it explains just enough for you to get the inventive sometimes silly parts of it but so that you can kind of understand what's happening it doesn't get too caught up in that aspect of it which i think it easily could have you know given the concept of the film yeah it kind of reminded me of hitchhiker's guide so i can't can't dislike it completely (laughs) um so like you know the hitchhiker's guide sending up bureaucracy and just the utter lack of desire to adhere to the rules concerning physics or logic and just some like yeah yeah i like that so I really enjoyed the performance of uh, Kei Hui Kwan as yes, Waymond, the, the husband. And so I feel especially compelled to mention this because I'm I am sure the man has done many things between then and now. But it basically, I was I spent the entire film looking at it going like, where do I know this guy Me from? Too. I know him from. I something. have no idea until I read it afterwards. I was and he played short round in Indiana Jones and the Temple Doom. And I, wow. I, I, I my my apologies to him. I hated him in that. So <laughs> I am now I am now willing to. Sorry, Amanda, I've given you the, the like. It's usually me beeping me out. So I suppose you could do it this time. Um, but yeah, I hated it. I it was the most annoying character in the entire world. But I, I, how much I liked his performance here, I'm willing to forgive him for that. He, he's carried terrific. Indiana Jones, and he's carrying this movie as well <laughs> with that great performance. Yeah, because he's playing okay, like multiple versions of himself. So he's playing yeah, like yeah. the the kind of Wayman that we get to know, who's kind of kind of a sap. He's kind kind hearted, but kind of a loser. Um. And he's also Alpha Waymond, which is this, you know, heroic multiversal adventurer. And he's a kind of cool spy, kind of yeah. James Bond character at the so opera. Endearing. He's he's got so much range in this. He's really terrific. Yeah. I, yeah wasn't really that cool. the the um role that was supposed to be Jackie Chan originally? Because mm. wasn't this made originally? I mean, I think there's a huge I, story about, you know, how how long this took to 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 make and there there's quite a lot of yeah detail around the process of this yeah it was in production for a long time since like 2010 i think they came up with the idea um and i think the jackie chan role turned into the michelle yo role oh right um, okay and they sort of recalibrated it around a mother rather than 
whoever Jackie Chan's character would have been. Um, it's interesting actually because I because mm-hmm. I actually don't think I don't think the Waymond role would have worked with Jackie no. Chan because you know exactly what I mean you yeah. know exactly what Jackie Chan is capable of whereas I think he's a much much more blank slate to be honest so also, it's much more surprising yeah. when stuff happens with him. Isn't Jackie you know? Chan a massive like Communist Party f- super stan? So he's also like politically on the right like wait, to, <laughs> that, in the that, that, that is well. a phrase like, I've not heard it would have worked. Not yeah, a phrase so, I've yeah, heard really for co- co- communist party super stan. <laughs> really, I did a politics degree. That's so what they call them. So. Super fan, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's been in production for a while. Well, they came up with the idea for the script a while ago, and I think, frankly, from what I could tell from like interviews and stuff, they've been quite annoyed by how much multiverse stuff has come yeah. out during yeah, the bet. production, like yeah. Into the Spider Verse, uh, Rick and Morty. And then Marvel Cinematic Universe has recently gone all in on multiverse stuff. So it felt like, I think it felt for them like the idea was passing them by while they were struggling to get this made. But they took it in a completely different way. I mean, I agree. I I don't think I got in, understood the whole multiverse, yeah, as as a brand or whatever of a type or genre of films until recently. And yet I felt like, yeah, when, when, when that started to come in in the film, I was a little yeah no what am I going to get here but it was completely different way and it was really unique Mm -hmm. and also just so much happening that I think if I saw it again I would get through some of those layers um I kind of felt like I was holding myself back like in my seat you know like I was in this big massive ride of visuals hitting me um and but but really interesting so I think it's a very cine literate film as well I mean we've mentioned this layer of reference Mm -hmm. but it's it's drawing on kind of wuxia cinema and then there's specific allusions to like Kubrick, uh, yeah. 2001 A Space Odyssey, and then uh, Pixar just appears there's at one point. There's, there's yeah. an extended Pixar sequence, which it's like a great. homage to Wong Kar Wai as well. At the, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Then, which, uh, which is nice to see. So there's a lot of mixed emotions in here, um, but it's definitely a, a film that has been talked about quite a lot. And there's a lot of hype around it. And I think what what we've decided with the fo- the five of us is that yeah there's that you can go either way so you have to see this film and you have to let us know what you think plus que l'autre. Hein. So the second film we're reviewing today on the show is Between Two Worlds. It's coming out in theaters the 27th of May. And Clara, take us through this film. So uh, Between Two Worlds, directed by Emmanuel Carrere, is um, about a French woman played by Julia Binoche, who has purportedly lost everything following a divorce and moves from Paris to a coastal town and joins other struggling women in precarious gig economy work as a cleaner before it's revealed that she's an undercover journalist seeking to lift the lid on poverty and strife and the gig economy in France. So um, 
I initially saw that this had been panned by Peter Bradshaw because it didn't explain or delve into the causes or political roots of the gig economy and the prevalence of terrible, low-paid, insecure, part-time menial labour to his satisfaction. Um, so I was kind of ready to, to dislike it for thinking it'd be very superficial and uh, not be not really good enough and just sort of be following in the footsteps of many other um, kind of woke pseudo-political films that try and um, say something poignant but end up saying nothing at all. Um, and I think in the end, Peter Bradshaw's critique is partially <laughs> fair. <laughs> um, the film does a good job, I think, of capturing the absurdity of the benefits in the hiring process, especially for such menial labour where uh, you have to stand out from the crowd and exalt cleaning as your one true life's passion uh, when you're just scrubbing shit from a toilet in record time to try and make less than minimum wage. Um, so I think it does a good job of capturing that absurdity and the graft uh, without making it seem making uh, the lives of, of people who do these jobs and, and live in, working in the gig economy seem utterly tragic and utterly despairing and um, kind of like a Victorian style tragic story, um, sending, putting the poor in a whole other category of almost fictitious um, protagonists in a sad story. Um, and it didn't go into the policy or the economics, but to be fair, I think it's too long a subject to tackle even a documentary dedicated to the subject, so fair. And also the book uh, was written in 2011 and covered the economy uh, post 2008 crash. But this film obviously is being, is being released coming off the back of a second refugee crisis, um, a pandemic and a lit litany of other socio-political economic issues. So if you're gonna try and deconstruct it, it's not really gonna work. So it does make sense. I mean, there, there's a lot There's a lot in here already. Um, the film is dealing with subterfuge and the personal dramas and interests and, and experiences already. So I don't think it was a fair critique. Um, even though I can understand why it would be a valuable opportunity to try and get to the nitty gritty of the cause of these issues. Um, yeah, I'd say ultimately it reminded me of Ken Loach's work, specifically, obviously, I, Daniel Blake, kind of mixed in with the 2011 film Els, which also stars Juliette Binoche. Um, yeah, I mean, Ken Loach's films don't really delve into the complex policy and the economics, but they're lauded as fantastic and really necessary films. Um, so, yeah. It does feel a little bit more supercilious than I don't know, Blake, uh, but I kind of enjoyed it from this perspective of looking into another European country, experiencing the same kind of issues and looking at how it is a, a global phenomenon that uh, employers are finding new ways to be terrible to their employees. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I liked that it was also, there was a lot of um, interpersonal dramas and I think looking at the feminine aspect of certain areas of menial labor was really interesting. And that was a, a nuanced look at that. So yeah, I, I really liked it actually in the end. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I agree in that the fact that I accidentally saw his review as well before I saw the film. And um, so it kind of, it started my perception in a certain way, but I definitely could get the impression of, I, I like films that take place in, you know, sort of parts of France that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be a tourist possible space. And I feel like the way that it was shot in a very social realist way and the scenes in many places felt really, um, yeah, really strong uh, character studies. Um, I, I thought Juliette Binoche playing this character who's attempting to, you know, to, 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 to disguise her, you know, her class or where she's coming from was, was quite interesting. And I just think there was a couple scenes that I won't give away, but I think particularly near the end that just felt, you know, just didn't, didn't culminate the film in any way that made me feel strong about the messaging 
or the point. Um, I definitely had this slight connection where I see, I obviously see the Ken Loach connection, but also with Nomadland, which I had mixed feelings about as well on this idea of the gig economy and the communities that are built around these kinds of spaces that are clearly not positive working spaces, but there, but there's these built-in communities that are happening. And I feel like in some capacities, this attempted to do that well and worked in, in, at certain times, but at other times it didn't, and it didn't resolve for me well. Mm. I quite like that though, in a way, because it kind of chimed um, and paralleled well the, the jarring uh, methods <laughs> that, this, that the writer has gone through to yeah. extract this information and this visceral experience, which you can then translate into a well-written book. Um, because obviously that was a really, I mean, that's not the most ideal way you're going to do it is, you know, like lie to people and make and, you know, gain people's trust only to then dash it and then just sort of widen the gulf between classes, yeah. <laughs> essentially this distrust, you know, and that because I mean, you're obviously, I think it is mentioned in the film, um, she muses on the kind of paranoia and distrust that you would have living at this level and then being treated like this by not your employers, um, your, your temporary uh, colleagues who you may never see again, um, the people in the benefit system, the government, and then other people who you see are getting by and why isn't it happening for you? It creates this, this sense of distrust. Um, so I, th I, think it, I think it did make sense in a way, but I do, I do know what you mean. There was, it did feel a little bit like there was something missing, but maybe that was, maybe that works, <laughs> I think. What did everyone else think? Simon, what did you yeah. think? Yeah, so, so it's it's an enjoyable film. I, I liked watching the the kind of web of relationships that build between um, uh, Juliet Binoche's character, Marianne, and all the other, the, the working class women that she meets and the other people um, that she meets in the port. I, I don't think it says much more about economic precarity in France um, and the wider world other than there is economic precarity in France, which isn't, isn't a full message for me so I, I i do think it could have said more about that not necessarily getting into the politics and economics of why it happens uh, but it could have it, it it lacked saying something it lacked a message about it um and for me it was for all this film's ostensible focus on the working class and working people the main character is still a middle-class woman so we are still focused on the kind of middle-class perspective um even as she takes on this role as a as a working class um woman on the ports um so for me it didn't say as much as as much as the premise could have said yeah i am in agreement with you simon i think um i i enjoyed the um the way that it was made in a similar way to Ken Loach movies or mm -hmm. uh, a film that it reminded me of was Two Days, One Night by the Dardens that had Marion Cotillard. Mm. Um, but I think what works with those films that didn't work for me with this is that the main characters are working class and, um, and I think they have more of an emotional gut punch to them. Whereas this one just, there is smacks of like poverty porn mm. um, elements yeah. to um, Like I thought Juliet Binoche's performance was was really good, um, and I enjoyed the way that it was filmed in a natural way that kind of almost made it feel documentarian. Um, but yeah, I think just I mean, you could you could accuse Ken Loach of uh, poverty porn as well, I guess, by like um, sitting on his pedestal and making these movies about working class people. But I think 
they work because they're working class characters. Whereas this one, yeah, I don't know. I think just because of the, it felt a bit more exploit. It was exploiting the working class a little bit more than Loach's films do. Yeah, I think Ken Loach has more of a connection to the people in his film. He he draws these performances out that that emphasize the kind of lived experience of 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 the people that he films and documents in in a way that this reached for but didn't quite get so it it does have a very naturalistic style that feels very Ken Loach it's very French social realism but it just it for me it doesn't doesn't quite get to that same um, emotional point that that Ken Loach's work gets to I I kind of um I I do love Ken Loach's work um but I kind of enjoyed this one because it didn't seek that really emotional payoff for me which kind of mm-hmm. I would be suspicious of almost like I kind of liked that it was just sort of here it is there you go it was quite it was just like I, I would I would have been more suspicious of it suspect I would find it more suspect if there had been more gut-wrenching drama that was making me feel as if the working class were human beings and I feel terrible for them you know what I mean it was just more low-key I feel but um but I do I do agree with yeah. you for sure but yeah I think um you should also um, mention the the character uh, Christelle. I thought, thought the performance of mm. Helene uh, Lambert or Lambert, um, and it was her first film. And I thought, um, oh wow, um, I thought mm. she was excellent. And she had a quality similar to Chloe uh, Sifonyi, um a little bit. Had that mm. kind of quality to her. Um, and I think maybe like having, um, I think could have seen a little bit more her maybe i don't know if i was sort of more interested in her character story than uh than than marianne's a little bit but um but yeah i guess like that that was the take on it from from the book that it was based on mm. um so it's a bit more um subtle and there's some more gray areas in it than the sort of black and white nature of ken loach's films yeah she reminded me of um Hallie from the Florida Project a lot that kind of similar functioning character but also the same mm-hmm. kind of charisma about her um yeah yeah that Marianne mentions in the film that um this this character has broken off from the group and become the focus of the book she's writing in the film the book that the film is then later based on um so I think it would have worked better if it had if she had been the focus rather than mm-hmm. the middle class author of the book that is being written in the film that the film is based on, you know. So Between Two Worlds is, uh, is out in theaters in a bit. Uh, Emmanuel Carrer, it's by Curzon, probably Curzon at home as well. So uh, check it out if uh, if you'd like to. And um, yep, on to the next. Universes. 
we don't know who or what will walk through it. Wanda, what do you know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. So the next film we're going to review is Doctor Strange uh, in the Multiverse of Madness. And I'm going to give it to our experts, Simon and Jim, to talk about this film uh, because I've yet to see it. Uh, Yeah, so Doctor Strange, the kind of uh, wizard sorcerer of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, discovers a child who can sort of, well, a teenager really, who's got the power of jumping between multiverses. Um, this is kind of expanding on the multiverse concept that we saw in, in Spider-Man No Way Home. And yeah, he's trying to protect her uh, from forces that want to hurt her. And so he goes on this multiversal adventure, um, traversing the multiverse and meeting uh, friends and enemies along the way. So I had fun. I had, you know, I had fun with this. I mean, without wanting to, without wanting to sound too dismissive, I had a generally fun, entertaining time at the movies. Um, (laughs) I think the the thing that I find odd to talk about with this is, so this film, as seems to happen a lot of these Marvel films, it had a couple of production issues early on, and it ended up. being directed by all people by um Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi, yeah. Um, and I've seen you know generally when I come on the show and we review films, I try to stop myself from reading too much about the film in advance, yeah. right? So it's not to tip. You know, it's kind of hard to do with this one. Um, you know, because it is the biggest it's, it's, release. Yeah, of the it's month. gonna be everywhere. Yeah, it's the biggest release that we're probably talking about in in this show. So it's kind of everywhere. The one thing I will say is there are a few like Sam Raimi-ish touches to it. I think it's got slightly more character to it than some of the other Marvel films. A lot of the sort of like rather breathless stuff about, oh, it's an Evil Dead film in the MCU, or like, oh, it, it's nonsense. Sam Raimi all over. It, it's it absolute is nonsense. Gar- it's garbage. I, like, I'm I, sorry. I, I've seen a lot of people saying it's Marvel's first horror film, which it, it's just not. It's just not. No, at it's all. got it's got more it's got more of that sort of stuff. I think. Yeah, it's got um, horror it's, elements, but it's not a horror film. Yeah, but that's yeah, but that's stretch. the thing. It's got that's exactly you're exactly right. It's got horror elements, and it you know, and there are a couple of little touches and a couple of little camera moves and things where I'm like, oh, okay, there's Sam Raimi peeking through the gap here. Um, but you know, it's very it's still very much to the formula. Um. I think I found it a little, it's all multiverse thing and, you know, characters crossing over. I found it a little bit less irksome than I did Spider-Man No Way Home, um, which there were bits of that that grated on me, I think. Um, The problem is, I I don't think the bar for, the, the barrier for entry to understanding what is going on in these films um, without having seen previous stuff, it's simultaneously never been higher in the sense that the amount of yeah prior knowledge you require here is quite a lot. But the problem is, I also think it kind of ignores other stuff as well. Like this, I, I really do feel like this whole thing, and it's only going to get worse with this multiverse stuff. It, it, I do feel like it's beginning to collapse in on itself now, and it's kind it, of hard it feels to very escape inconsistent. That. Yeah, it, yeah, it's. 
it's very much getting to a point of inconsistency. Um, so my, 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 you know, I don't want to get all cinema sins about it, but my big thing is why did the variants in Spider-Man No Way Home all look different, but all the variants in this all look like Benedict Cumberbatch? It's, it's, and I, I just think the multiverse concept is collapsing um, for Marvel because they don't Before know Before it's to even do with really it. started. Yeah. Properly, There's no consistent frankly, yeah. through line. So like, uh, Thanos was a threat for like, you know, ten films before he was really the mm. big, 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 big threat, and um, and he felt consistent. It was like a consistency of narrative there that I think they've just lost since since the two big Avengers films. Um, so it just felt a little uneven. Um, I, I don't think it helps that it's focused on Doctor Strange and uh, Wonder Maximoff, Elizabeth Olsen's character. Because Marvel doesn't seem to know what to do with those characters, like no, it, it's so it's just felt very uneven in terms of character, um, very uneven in terms of tone. I, I think, like you say, there are literally a couple of shots where Sam Raimi peeks through. Like you could count yeah, them on and one look, hand. And look, they are they are they, they are there. They're there, but they're totally. very fleeting. But they're very fleeting. Like literally five camera shots that 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 speak to Sam Raimi, and the rest is the kind of bland. Kevin Feige production that um, it's the same as all other Marvel films. So it was it was fine, like you say. Um, the, the, there's a whole vast machinery, a vast assembly of thousands of people working to ensure that these don't come off the production line not being fine. Like there's a certain amount of entertainment value there, um, but it is just fine. And it's not, you know, a cinematic triumph. But I don't think yeah, anyone's going to Doctor Strange expecting that. No, I, I, I think the thing that's probably, you know, to, just to finish my thoughts on it, I, I, I think I, I find this better and a little bit more inventive than the Spider-Man film, right? Um, which this is the actual <laughs> sequel to, right? I mean, it, like, it was pointed out to me on social media that really, like, I'm saying, like, the last Doctor Strange film is basically superfluous to proceedings here. And I, I really do feel it is. I don't think like his arc in that is repeated or ignored or both at the same time. I don't even really know how to describe it. I can't it, even right? remember, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? But totally pointed out to me, which is fair enough, is that actually this is the sequel to Spider-Man No Way Home and it's the sequel to Avengers Endgame. Like, that's what it's actually the sequel to. But it kind of, you know, I, I, I really just think that the return on investment in terms of time with these films is getting lower and lower, right? You know, I mean, Avengers, Endgame, and Infinity War, you know, they had their issues. I don't think they're the best films ever, but I had a lot of fun with them. And, like, you know, it, yeah. it, it felt like you were paying off, as you said, that kind of building threat for, you know, whatever it was, many films before that. Now, I don't know. What the hell's going on? It just feels like a conveyor belt to the next film. And yeah, you have some fun with the the current one, but it doesn't really feel like what what is the point of watching all this stuff, especially when they're now getting to the point now where I feel like they're kind of ignoring stuff that went before. It's like, what was the point of any of this? You know, so it's it's a fun enough two hours, but I, I, I really think I'm getting less and less out of this with each passing installment, basically. Yeah, it's fun, you know. I wouldn't rush to the cinema to see it. You can wait until it comes on Disney Plus, and then you can just watch it after you've watched all the other required reading um, yeah. <laughs> to understand the film. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. you guys are really talking me into this one. I might go check Downton Abbey or Maverick instead. But <laughs> um, but no, Doctor Strange is out, and it's quite um, it's it's quite popular. Uh, well, it's it's out everywhere, every hour at the local cinema near me. Yeah. Um, yeah. In every form possible. You can walk into any cinema in the land and watch Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah. Within fifteen minutes. So. Check it out if that's if you'd like to, and uh, we're on to our next. Hey, be cool, be cool, John, be cool, guys. So you going out tonight, B? Yeah, got a pass to underground. Are you guys? Yeah, yeah. We're just gonna go to a couple parties and. It took me three weeks of ass kissing just to get into one. Oof, a lot of blood. So... Good thing you didn't get pink eye. <laughs> uh... Our legendary tour. We're going to seven parties tonight, bro. You should take it easy. Don't get Kunle into any trouble. That boy's black excellence. Oh, come on, come on. If we only gonna have five minutes when we get back to pregame, change, and leave. Sean, what? Where's Carlos? There's an unconscious white girl in our living room. What? Okay, okay, she's she's alive. We should call 911. Hey, stop! Are you crazy? We didn't do hey, anything hey, wrong. We don't have to do nothing wrong, Kunlite. The cops are not gonna listen. They just gonna come in here and see three brown guys hanging over this little white girl. We looked everywhere, and we can track her on your phone. We can't just leave her somewhere. We take her to the hospital. Shotgun. So uh, the next film we're reviewing is Emergency. Um, it came out in Sundance this year. Uh, Jim, did you see it as part of Sundance? Is that I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the film centers on three college students, um, Sean, Coonley, and Carlos, who now the, the, the bulk of the start of the film is with um, Sean and Coonley. And basically they are about to graduate and there's a sort of night of partying ahead of them where they're trying to complete the legendary tour, right, which is going to these various different parties and, you know, frat house um, events. And the idea is that they will be they'll be commemorated in some way um, amongst the, the, the students of that that college. Um, it, it felt a little bit like to me, it pitched in a similar way to kind of like the, the World's End, the Edgar Wright film where they need to go on a pub crawl, but it's basically, it's, it's college parties, right? Um, and part of the, I think part of the part of the hook here is the the two that we mainly follow are two young black men. They'll be the first black men to have uh, achieved this. However, in the course of beginning their evening, um, they're faced with a situation where there's a young white girl passed out in their um, in their house that they share with uh, the the other student Carlos, and it's how they go about dealing with this because it's they're weighing up whether they should call the police or not, and this is where kind of like some of the more social commentary aspects come in because obviously this is a very kind of like uh, hot topic historically, of course, but especially in recent years, um, is police behavior and how they would confront this situation so basically it then follows them over the course of this evening of trying to deal with it right i think it's probably fair to say it's not a spoiler to say they don't call the police um you know otherwise this would probably be a much shorter film frankly um and it's how they go about dealing that and it's the kind of the scrapes and difficulties they get into and then there's a secondary thread that will of course eventually collide with this whereby 
um, the sister and her friends of this girl are trying to find out what's happened to her um, and basically are tra- like tracking her throughout the evening. So it's about how they're, of course, going to react to that situation as well. So I'm interested to see what people thought of it. Um, I got a lot out of this. I think it was quite good. And it one of my one of my favorite things in films, um, I, it balanced the tone very well, in my opinion. Um, there, in particular, the the Sean character um, played by R.J. Siler. I think he has a lot of very good, very funny lines, and I think it manages to weave in some pretty comedic um, moments and lines here, which is a, I find very difficult to do with this, um, like the the plot and the story they're going for here. So I I personally got a lot out of it. Um, I haven't had a chance to rewatch it, so I am going on my memories of it from January here. Um, but I think it was a very skillfully written film in that regard. And I think the the tone has been balanced quite well, but I'm interested to see what other people thought of it. Other opinions may be available and all that. And that's the point of the show, of course. So, No, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think it's got a good, uh, an effective blend for the most part of, of comedy and drama um, and particularly getting comedy from these kind of sensitive political and social issues that you've mentioned, like, um date rape the extrajudicial killing of black people in america black lives matter um mostly there's there's a few moments when it skirts a bit too close to comedy when it shouldn't necessarily be going there but mostly i i think it blends it very well and it it kind of reminded me of um dear white people the film and the tv show and that kind of exploration of contemporary race issues um in an american university context um, in a kind of comedic and dramatic uh, way, a way that blends the two. Uh, so yeah, I thought it worked. Um, I, I, I think, yeah, the, the whole film is about this series of decisions that the, the, the three main characters make. And I don't want to call them bad decisions because they're decisions constrained by the possibilities that are closed off to black and Latino people in, in contemporary America. So they can't call the police because they're worried they will be shot um which is a a a real you know legitimate concern and so institutional forms of help are 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 blocked off to them completely because they're repressive to black people um to such an extent that they're they're simply not available for for black people in that context um and there's a real tension that i think builds throughout the film um there's it's kind of tension from what we've mentioned, the clash between uh, these, these black and Latino students and the institutions of power. There's also tension from the disparities between the characters, socioeconomic, academic, and, and racial. So um, Kunle isn't comfortable with Sean's kind of blackness. Um, Kunle ends up kind of performing whiteness a little more than Sean um, to succeed academically. So there's some, some, some tensions there. But I think this tension really builds effectively towards the end of the film and and builds to a really quite a, a kind of gut punch of a conclusion that 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 was really effective for me. Yeah, I, I'd echo both of what you said in terms of being able to mix comedy and tension and sort of the tension um, sometimes that is around comedic stories of like a night 
you know, like, as you said, the premise of going around a college night. And so I think some people mentioned like Booksmart or I was thinking like Lovebirds, Issa Rae, like the film that mm -hmm. Issa Rae was in, um, where sometimes those things didn't mix together. And where the tension was sometimes was about these like, oh, I can't do this, you know, or these the, one thing leads to another, leads to another. And I just kept thinking about the lab, <laughs> the lab cultures. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm so tense about the fact they're going to. <laughs> die and this, i'm not giving anything away and this phd is going to be lost and it's left the fridge open <laughs> like, my my stress level was so high yeah. in the whole film because of that yeah. but the the character development this the the way it was written and also just the performances um i think was really amazing like i feel like the you know it, it was really well done you know so it brought in just things that could sometimes be comedic and worked well for me, but also moments which were very empathetic and very, you know, and very powerful, um, you know, and I'm thinking against near the end with Kunle and just knowing, you know, the transformation that he had, ha he went through, through this, you know, through, through this film and this experience. Mm -hmm. And it was really powerful. Um, I would, yeah, I was, I, I enjoyed it a lot. So I, I really did like it, um, you know, and, yeah, I, I guess yeah, I'll say I, that. I think, I think you've hit upon something which I think I, I want to touch upon without saying explicitly what it is in that I I thought the ending of this film was extremely powerful, right? And I think the thing that sells that is the journey that uh, Donald DeLee's Watkins character, Coonley, who is the main who, who is the main character, right? We follow these three guys, but it, it, it's essentially, it's, it, it's, it's through him that we're kind of experiencing the most. The journey that his character goes on in terms of like how he feels about some of these things is extremely involving. And I think it really sells the central ideas of the film. And it, it starts, it really kind of comes out the gate pretty strongly with this stuff when him and Sean are sitting in a class and basically there's a class discussion about the N-word, right? And they're sitting there as the only black guys in class. And it's like, you know, and it's this, it's the language of kind of, American progressivism around it, kind of like talking about, oh, well, you can talk about this in a safe space. And, you know, it's, is it's a bunch of white people sitting around talking about um talking about these issues and you know these two kind of sitting there non plus was like what the hell are you doing um so he kind of in a very comparatively anyway mundane way sets out that this is the sort of environment you're dealing with um straight off the bat so then as simon says it's a case of the decisions that these characters make are they the best decisions no, I mean, probably not, but the, it's important that they are set within the context of how they feel they can proceed, right? What what decisions they feel they can make. And if the film doesn't communicate that environment, then that tension doesn't build in the same way. So I think the way that it sets that out from the beginning and how it builds it up is key to going on that journey with the characters and not making people who, you know, like me, don't have any firsthand experience of, like, you know, experiencing that sort of tension about what to do in that situation makes it clear and it makes it very understandable and gets across both the messages of the film, but also why the characters are doing what they are, are doing or are not doing um, 
you know what they what they would ideally want to. And I think there's also the secondary performance of like the the characters who are in a separate group to them trying to find out what's happened to this this young woman. I think their performances are key as well because it's another one where it would be very easy to make them kind of like just overtly racist, basically. I think is maybe the way to do it. But the, the key mm. thing is, it's not. It's that sort of insidious um, suspicion and the assumptions they make, right? Which are obviously racist, um, but they're racist in a different way to the way it's set up at the, the start of the film. So I think the way it sets those things up and then allows it to develop through the film and then pays off with the conclusion, um, which I thought was superb, the way this film um, finishes. I I think it did that very skillfully, and that comes from the script, it comes from the performances, and again, a lot of the things I end up liking about films in the show, where all these things are working in harmony, and it means it has the impact it should. It's not kind of wasted. Um, yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I like the- this a lot. I like this a lot. The film is very aware of those different forms that racism comes in and that kind of latent form that you've yeah. alluded to. There's a, a joke about halfway through um, sort of about uh, white liberals who have like a Black Lives Matter poster on their lawn, but they still want to call the cops because there's some black guys outside their house and they assume they're selling drugs or whatever um, because they still have that prejudice despite their kind of liberal support of of broader um social movements um there's a very deliberate what feels like a very deliberate choice i want to mention which is the choice to never show the face of a police officer exactly when the the police do appear in the film you never see their faces they are completely faceless you know institutional beings um and i thought that was a very powerful and very effective choice that really struck me and i really liked it yeah great so emergency is when is it out uh jim do you know so it's out on the 20th of may through republic film um so it'll be playing quite soon but i think it's also a it's certainly an amazon release in the states so i think it's probably going to come on to prime pretty quickly i would have thought so it'll be on streaming at some point because it's it's an amazon studios thing but it will be getting a theatrical release in in the uk a limited one on the 20th great so i think we all unanimously agree it's a good film to check out um please do So our our final film we're going to review today is The Innocence, and Simon will take us through that, correct? 
Yes. So this is a, um, I guess you'd broadly call it a horror film from uh, Eskil Vogt. Um, Ida is a small child um, and her and her sister Anna are moved to a new uh, block of flats, a new housing estate um, somewhere in Scandinavia. Um, Anna is uh, severely autistic, um, nonverbal, uh, and Ida, it seems, has a cruel streak towards her and the world around her. So she kind of she pinches her sister, she spits off the balcony, she deliberately treads on a worm in the first few first few scenes. She's she's a bit of a mean kid. Um, but when she arrives at the housing estate, she goes out and plays, and she meets other kids. She meets Ben and she meets Aisha, um, and it turns out that. Ben and Aisha both have psychic powers or the ability to move things with their minds or communicate telepathically. There's, there's some psychic supernatural powers at work here. Um, so eventually the film follows these children as they, as they discover these powers and, and interact with the world around them um, using those powers. What did, what did you think, Clara? I am a big fan, I have to say. Yeah, yeah I am actually. Um, I just, I, I, I think it tread the perfect line uh, between genres. It, ha- it inhabits that really interesting and tasty little genre niche between sci-fi and psychological film and then horror film as well. I, I think that's why I was hesitant to call it a horror film because mm. it, it's kind of, you know, it's it's kind of treading on social issues as as well as having this horror element and this sci-fi sure. element it's it's yeah yeah it has elements of stranger things and then mm-hmm. uh, some of you may have seen the german uh, series dark um and then also 2008's the children very harrowing film mm-hmm. to anyone who's interested in such things and uh, also a bit of we need to talk about kevin in there as well um and yeah you say it's yeah yeah it really does cover some social issues it really is an interesting cross-section of um of society uh, because i think especially in like places like america or britain we have an idea of scandinavia as being a particular cookie cut society um without much variance and nuance whereas the reality is yeah. completely different from that and it's very much like britain in america very rich <laughs> and varied so <laughs> unsurprisingly um yeah i mean i just I, I love it i love it starts off from such an innocuous point so what would otherwise be a really humdrum summer in a suburban housing estate just quietly and carefully mutates into this group of children collectively discovering and indulging in and falling prey to <laughs> dark <laughs> childlike urges and supernatural powers yeah i'd say uh, it's probably definitely one for people who consider themselves in well for a24 stands closet or yeah. unabashed alike <laughs> um as it delivers a really like meaty convincing modern horror um definitely we are now safely away from uh, the early 2000s um, misogynist horror film era. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> for me, it created a lot of anxiety, particularly yeah. around around the particular things that it shows in the film. So the, this, this idea of, of bad things happening to children like was, was quite a triggering anxiety for me mm-hmm. that made it really unsettling. Um, it was also tapping into some anxieties around uh, the vulnerability of cats, for example, um, there's, there's some some cat violence, um, which was very unsettling, mm. and I think it's meant to be. I, I think it wants you to 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 feel that kind of creeping, insidious, um, 
unsettlingness as you get to know these children because they are like a, a couple of the children are pretty mean like they are you know casually cruel to to animals and to the people around them um yeah. there's this kind of spectrum from from ben on one end to aisha on the other and our main character ida is kind of torn between these two these two poles you know kind of cruelty mm-hmm. on one side and kind of compassion on the other um yeah, that's why so, it's so yeah. interesting to me is because it is kind of like a psychological study of children generally, because I mean, yes. uh, depending on what you ascribe to in terms of psycho- psychological theory, but the tabula rasa is like a generally accepted thing. So like, you know, a child can be uh, molded from whatever yeah, their upbringing like a blank is. Slate. Yeah, blank slate. And um, so it, so children, I think, I mean, that's probably why they're used in these, <laughs> in horror films so often as well, is like the, the sort of uncertainty of a child's character because it's still being molded and there's a lot of uncertainty. They don't really like, give away who they are yet and it's difficult to tell but um so the film does rely on some seriously well-hewn um horror film tropes like the evil children and yeah uh, it it was very very much tapping into kind of stephen king ideas of children with psychic powers you know this is this is the shining children it doesn't it doesn't overdo it or it doesn't it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like oh god here's another one and oh this is they're just sort of churning out another um film it manages to be exceptional i think I think it's one that will stay with me. Um, I, I think that, yeah, just the tension, the world building was really convincing and really enticing, even mm-hmm. down to things like the sound design. Because um, in horror films and actually well, any film, the sound design can just ruin things. So there's relatively sparing um, use of, of music to, to, to ramp up the tension initially. Uh, so there's no sort of blockbuster like womb effects or, yeah. or strangulated violins or creepy piano music or... There was none of that to be found, but it was it was brilliant. Um, and uh, yeah, the ca- the characters are really complex but realistic. And it's so often the characters their behavior veers into this confusing and sometimes dark and frightening reality of being a child because that is what it is like to be a child. <laughs> and so then when the truly disturbing things occur and the truly strange things occur, they cut really close to the bone, uh, yeah. and they are very visceral and they are quite real. So. The supernatural horror elements are really interspersed with behaviors and actions that can which contain in them like a really basic um our world kind of evil it's a really easily attainable evil in our reality regardless of all the um the sci-fi elements combined yeah. and then the combination is what's really chilling you've mentioned the music there's, there's some really interesting cinematography as well for me there's some really interesting shots from unusual perspectives like there's a few shots of of buildings extending downwards, like an upside down view of of these buildings, um, which, which kind of looks similar. There's similar shots at the start of the new Candyman film, which I didn't mm-hmm. care for, um, because that doesn't kind of live up to that visual promise. Whereas this film, those shots are used to suggest the kids' different perspectives on the world, and that is a theme of the film. That that is kind of built upon. Uh, through the narrative and through the characters in a way that yeah really uh really works i think uh, it's a bit of a slow burn as part as far as like horror and thriller films go mm. um it, it's quite a slow burn getting into it it is two hours long um and i i think it could have cut down a little bit um to to kind of make the tension a little tighter but but i did really enjoy it i i really really liked really liked what it did with its world Mm. i think it reminded me 
um, I don't know if people off because it's not a sensationalist film. It's very tasteful, I think. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word to use because given, given how subjective taste is, it's kind of a stupid thing to say. But anyway, um, it kind of reminded me of the um, Slenderman stabbing case in America where um, yeah. um, the two, the, there were these two children that convinced each other of the existence of a truly evil malevolent force and justified a really grisly attempted murder based on that shared false reality. Except in this film, the lines between the supernatural and the real in this film are greatly blurred. And it's as if the children are sort of in on a shared reality, which is not available to the adults, which is just fantastic as well, because it chimes into it chimed into my sense of being a child where you do have that warped perspective of what you can do and what powers you can exert over the world. Um, I remember I used to think I could see through things just because I could close one eye and then like see, you know, I mean, like from a different, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, so it has that kind of feeling about it. These children, is the, the line between what is real and what isn't is a bit blurred at first. And I think that's really effective. Um, and yeah, yeah I, this, I think it's a good cast as well. Sorry. It, it does have that kind of creepy pasta feel of, someone just telling you a story about something weird that's happened like like when ben meets ida ben just takes her into the woods and says look what i can do and it's yeah. not like creepy he's not saying like i'm psychic look at these amazing powers i'm like a superhero he's just showing this creepy thing that he can do yeah we're making a rock move um so it, yeah it's kind of tapping into that kind of folklore around childhood this kind of you know mm. you hear a story because your friend who has a friend who has a friend told them this mm. story so their group dynamic is really is really interesting because mm. there's it's so often that there's um in in horror films psychological films there's the evil character and then there's the protagonist protagonist who's desperately trying to understand the evil character in order to thwart them but this is very much inside the dynamic of a really mixed group of of people who are and, and the moral boundaries the ethical boundaries are really blurred yeah. um so it's really, I, I found it a really interesting dynamic. And uh, yeah, the, the cast is extremely talented, extremely talented child actors here, for sure. I think we've yeah, seen that yeah, in the that's future. True. And um, it's, it's just a really great cross-section of people and characters, I think it's interesting. But um, So when I saw the trailers and the promo material um, and saw that one of the children is autistic and nonverbal, um, I worried that the film would really rely on that really problematic and really tiresome trope slash juice ex machina um, of the un uncanny unknowable minds and inner worlds of the disabled and neurally divergent which I, is I like thought that too I thought like that kind of yeah that kind of patronizing idea of yeah. you know autistic people with special powers um, but it didn't but it doesn't no thankfully um and it, it handles it really well so in fact you just got a film which has just a really brilliant cross-section of humanity um in the end which is a nice little perk to a, yeah. to a brilliant story yeah. and dynamic as well So yeah, highly Great. recommend. <laughs> so the Innocence is actually coming out on the twentieth of May, and it will, that means it'll be in cinemas around the UK as well as on digital platforms. That sounds very good if you're into a little creepy <laughs> and a little <laughs> creepy but good. Um, so yes, check it out. So that wraps this show up. Uh, we've yeah, we've we've covered a lot of films, which means there's lots of films to see. There's going to be great films uh, for you to check out of all different types of genres. Um, I'm curious what everyone's up to this summer for film. Like, or what are you looking forward to? I, is everyone going to just run out and see Top Gun Maverick or what? Run away from Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> 
had to throw it out there. You know what? I would. I would go see it. I I will watch anything with a good natured openness, but then be also as open to slagging it off after. Like watching a bad film is is very comforting to me. I find it very fun. I watched Society the other week. I don't think Top Gun is going to live up to that, but maybe I will watch it. I'll probably. I mean, I'm. Well, I mean, if. If I can, I will probably try and go see Top Gun. The main thing for me is, has everybody just forgotten Tom Cruise as a Scientologist now? Are we just not talking about Oh, yeah, no one mentions that anymore. Everyone He's a national treasure. There's no actor like him. It's like, yeah, there is no actor like him because he's mental. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway. I can't believe Elizabeth Moss is a Scientologist as well. That's so disappointing. That's really disappointing. disappointing, Way more disappointing than Tom Cruise. We know, Yeah. 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 Yeah, and you can understand like a Juliet Lewis doing it. It's very like you know, zany. But uh, yeah, <laughs> what the, what are you doing, Elizabeth Moss? Okay. Anyway, um, I, I don't know how often I'll make it to the cinema in, the, in before the next show. Um, but one thing I want to give a shout out to actually is we reviewed it on the show a while ago. Is Lutsu, which was my favorite film from Sundance twenty twenty one, that is coming out um, in the UK at the end of this month. I think it's May 27th, something like that. Um, so we reviewed it on the show, and as I recall, I think I was the most positive about it, and Isabel wasn't that keen on it at all. But I really <laughs> liked it. I think it's a very I think it's a very good film. It's a debut film about uh, 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 fishermen in Malta, and you know some references made to Ken Loach's work earlier in, in the show, and it has a lot of overlap there. But I think it's really a very good looking film as well. So that's going to get released through Peccadillo at the end of the month, and that's really worth checking out in my book. So I'm just going to give that a shout out for for the coming month. I think. Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm writing a paper for uh, the British Association of Film, Television, and Screen Studies Horror Studies Group has a uh, Yellow Jackets uh, conference, a conference about the TV show Yellow Jackets. So I'm writing a paper for that at the moment. That's my kind of focus. Um, and while we're doing shout-outs for stuff, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, Gaspar Noe's Vortex, which I mentioned last time I was on the mm. show. I saw it at Glasgow Film Festival. A terrific film about uh, kind of dementia and ageing, um, and it's in cinemas now. So I- I'd really recommend that. One of my favourite films of the year so far. Yeah, it looks great. And I was thinking about checking it out because um, it's, it's at, like you said, it's out in cinemas now. So mm-hmm. I'll very mu- much likely do that uh, as soon as possible. Gary, how about you? Uh, yeah, so next on my list to see is uh, I'll, I'll finally see Doctor Strange this week. I'll be a bit late to the party for that. Um, and then there's also there's a film I've not seen that uh, was on at Glasgow Film Festival and I was disappointed to miss it, but I'm hearing nothing but good things about uh, the Quiet Girl, so I'm hoping to catch that oh, yeah. next week. Um, and then the one shout out that I would give is um, there's a, a movie coming out at the end of the month through Signature uh, called I Am Zlatan. It's a, a biopic of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, which um, is actually one of the few um, films based on football that's been actually good because they're, they're <laughs> few and far between. Uh, so I'd give a little shout out to that too. Hmm. Absolute that, that slander of the goal trilogy there. 
I was gonna say, so that's up there with Bend It Like Beckham. I was, I was gonna say no, Bend It Like one. Beckham and Zidane. There's so yeah. many options. Get your lesbian sh- feet out of my shoes. <laughs> yeah, whatever whatever football film is spoken about, this is a dad of 21st century portrait. <laughs> Erasure, I will not stand for. Yeah, I guess I guess there there has been uh, there's been a few a few standouts, I suppose. Maybe I'm being unfair. I did try to program a, an whole, a whole festival of around um football films and it was tough. It was it, it was tough. Could throw a escaped, city of God. I mean, escape to victory is right there. Like, you know. <laughs> well, we have it now. We have it now. <laughs> and we have a new film dad to it. So, uh, well, thank you all for joining us. I think next month we'll, it's Sheffield Doc Fest. So hopefully we'll be doing Ooh. again another um, another little bit on that. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for news, news around our, our, our upcoming Electric Muses live performance surrealist mixture of films that I'd like we'll be sharing um Asyntopia. but thank you for joining let us know what you think about the films always reach out and join us for networking sometime if you can uh see you next time mm-hmm.